Coming up on Target USA. Fragile, ambitious, and nuclear. That's how Michael Hayden, a former CIA director, describes a group of countries that pose an existential threat to the U.S., and it's looming just over the horizon. The North Koreans mm -hmm. throw in the Pakistanis. I think the Iranians deserve to be in that club. Mm -hmm. And you know what? In my darker moments, I put the Russians in there, too. But that's only a part of the problems. And one of the most trusted men in Washington for decades, Michael Vickers, former Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence, says the problems are significant. Threats to the international order in the three critical regions of the world. An updated look at threats facing the U.S. That's coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Target USA is brought to you by TrueCar. Pricing information is great and necessary, but there's more to buying a car than just price. There's the actual buying experience, and to enjoy a better one, you have to go to a True Car certified dealer. They're there to help you find the car you want, and they are what make True Car unique. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can lock in guaranteed savings off MSRP and enjoy a better buying experience. True Car users save an average of $3,279 off MSRP. And True Car customers are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with True Car certified dealers. More than 2 million True Cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car certified dealer network. There are more than 11,000 True Car certified dealers nationwide, and you can work directly with a True Car certified dealer contact. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar.com or download the True Car app to enjoy a better car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Very graphic situation. San Bernardino. An act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They I'm want Obama. you to imagine them in the shadows. Hostile nation states. Can inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. On any given day here in late 2016, the U.S. is involved in two active military conflicts. In Afghanistan, it's deeply immersed in support operations for the government of Afghanistan against the Taliban and leading a coalition of 67 countries fighting the Islamic State group in Iraq and Syria. U.S. Stratcom keeping its eyes peeled because since January, North Korea has conducted two nuclear tests, launched five ballistic missiles, and most of that activity has taken place since August. Russian-linked cybercriminals have invaded the U.S. election databases in several states and threatened to throw the presidential election. Those are just the big national security foreign policy issues facing the nation. We haven't mentioned the terrorism situation, like the bombings in New York and New Jersey that just took place, and the vulnerability of soft targets across the country. So on this program, we take a look at the security problems, big and small, facing the U.S., and we start off with former CIA Director Mike Hayden. This is the question I used sure. to always ask you when yeah. you were Director of CIA. What are the top threats that the U.S. faces? 
and um, I'd like some 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 feedback from you on how we've been doing against those threats as well. So here's how I answer that. What keeps you awake at night kind of question. I, I imagine a, a graph in front of us, JJ, with a vertical and a horizontal axis, with the vertical axis being how bad could this be, Hayden, and the horizontal axis being how much time do we have. All right? And so tucked into the lower left-hand corner, which means it could go bump tonight. Hmm. Um, are what I, and, and trust me, this is a very rough graph, all right? Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but down in the lower left-hand corner of that graph, I have cyber and terrorism threats. And, and I, again, suggest the immediacy. In the one category, JJ, things could go bump because some young fellow at the TSA line makes a bad decision out at Dulles this afternoon, all right? But neither of those, at least in their current form, what I view to be existential threats to the United States. Now, they're bad. All right? I'm, I'm not soft-pedaling them, all right? But, but they, they, they will not, at least individually, threaten the continued existence of the nation. They're just really urgent. Now, if I go out the timeline a bit further, go out to the three, five-year point, I've got a, another bubble of concerns that actually, actually are more threatening. But again, I have time. It's not going to happen tonight. And here I have a grouping of states that I've labeled uh, fragile, ambitious, and nuclear. And here I put, obviously, the North Koreans, mm-hmm. throw in the Pakistanis. I think the Iranians deserve to be in that club. Mm-hmm. And you know what? In my darker moments, I put the Russians in there, too. And again, now that's not going to go bump tonight. But this is the product of the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, particularly nuclear arms, to, to states that are, as I said, very brittle. And I include the Russians in that. What happened with the Russians? I mean, you know, yeah. and all people who work on your side know, and some of us on our side have had a pretty good idea that this whole concept of being friends with the Russians was really, it, it, it left a lot lacking. But, 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 but why, why are the Russians a threat again? Yeah, well, number one, and this may have been a, this may have been a mistake, all right? Certainly while I was at the agency, we didn't, we didn't rush out the door to become friends with the Russians. I went to more than 50 countries as director, JJ. Not one of them was Russia. Now, again, it may have been, may have been a mistake. Mm-hmm. Right, but it does put the lie to Putin's claims that folks over at Langley are plotting the demise of the Russian Federation all hours of the day or night. We have a fault is that we didn't pay enough attention uh, to the Russians. Look, I've said on national TV that all this trouble Putin's causing, he's doing it with nothing more than a pair of sevens in his hands. All right, he's he is. This is not a resurgent power, JJ. It's a revanchist power. But all the elements of national power, I mean, the real elements of national power. They're eroding in Russia. Mm-hmm. They're losing democracy, entrepreneurship, <laughs> less, less oil, less gas, and far fewer Russians. I mean, they, they are a dramatically declining population because of life expectancy. I think Putin recognizes that, and I think, I think he knows he's got a pair of sevens. He doesn't have picture cards, and he's not drawn any, any high cards in, in the near future. And so I think he's being aggressive in the near term because I think he knows the far term, the long term, isn't, is even worse for him. So you've got this, this aggressiveness. So lower left-hand corner, really immediate, bad stuff, but not existentially threatening, cyber and terrorism, 
midterm, three, five, maybe seven years, nuclear ambitious, brittle states, including the Russians, out there 10 to 15, okay, and way up on the let's get important side of this is the Sino-American relationship. Mm. Okay? This is the one that's pass-fail, JJ. This is the one you've got to get right. This is all about an emerging power, the Chinese, and a status quo power ourselves. History's seen a lot of examples of status quo and emerging powers. It generally ends up in global war. All right? And, and so, although we've got lots of time, okay, although China is not an enemy of the United States, and there aren't any really good reasons for we and the Chinese to, to be enemies of one another, this is the most important security question we have looking towards, towards the horizon. Now, the great issue, JJ, for me, for my community, for the intelligence community and policymakers is those things close in are so urgent that they consume energy at, a, at an extraordinary rate. Dave Petraeus came to the House right before he got confirmed for the CIA job. And as he, as he was walking out, I, I gave him one additional thought. He was just asking questions about life at the agency. I said, Dave, you know, one more thing. CIA has never more looked like OSS, the World War II Direct Action Agency. CIA has never looked more like OSS than it does right now. And, and, and Dave, that's got kind of a good thing. America's safer because CIA looks like OSS. But Dave, it's not. It's the nation's global espionage service. And you're going to have to work hard every day to remind yourself and remind the agency of these broader questions on which the nation is going to rely on CIA for information. That's the real challenge. Those close-in urgent threats are consuming so much bandwidth mm-hmm. that I don't know how much is left over for the mid and the long-term things with which we have to cope. There are some other issues of a more immediate nature that need to be dealt with as well. And so for that, we pivot to Michael Vickers, one of the most trusted people in Washington, serving in both a Republican and Democratic administrations. And he was one of the few people read into that secretive operation to kill Osama bin Laden. Well, it was an extraordinary uh, uh, 10 months uh, thereabouts from the time that we discovered him, uh, found his location in Abbottabad in late uh, August uh, 2010, uh, to then developing the options of, of how we might um, uh, deal with him, uh, whether an airstrike or the ground raid that we ended up doing and all sorts of variations in that regard, and then several meetings with the president, uh, President Obama, to actually... Uh, uh, for him to make the decision to go ahead with the raid. And uh, um, so it was a uh, mm. very extraordinary time. This, and, go ahead. And, and you know, the biggest secret in the U.S. government at the time, too. There were very few people who knew about it early on. And so I was one of the privileged few. Yeah, you were. And indeed, um, many people would love to have been a fly on the wall during that process. Um, and maybe over time, as the years tick by, we'll learn more about that. But that was an extraordinary time. This is an extraordinary time, too. And I've heard from not just a few intelligence sources and people that I've interviewed that this is perhaps the most 
uh, critical time in, 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 in modern history for the U.S. when it comes to threats facing the nation. And so I'm wondering, what are the key threats facing the nation? Um, well, I agree with you, J.J. Uh, this is a, we're entering a really new era that really uh, updates, but also fuses challenges from previous eras. So we've, you know, lived with global jihadi terrorism before 9-11 and then really after um, the horrific attacks of September 11, 2001. Um, but additional challenges uh, have arisen as well uh, with the resumption of uh, great power competition, uh, probably beginning in the um, late part of the last decade. Um, the Chinese tested an anti-satellite weapon. Uh, Russia got more aggressive with its invasion of Georgia and then subsequently um, Ukraine. And so now we really have um, challenges on multiple fronts. We have um, threats to the international order in the three critical uh, regions of the world, in, in Europe and Eurasia uh, by a uh, uh, more assertive Russia, um, uh, in East Asia by a, a rising China and also the, the North Korea problem, and in the Middle East by a host of actors from um, global jihadists like Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant and Al-Qaeda and its many franchises, and then Iran, which really sees itself as the uh, center of the Middle East. Added to the complications in the Middle East um, is the collapse of state authority, which creates a lot of vacuums in that regard. So in all critical regions, we have challenges that are likely to be enduring, um, uh, and um, um, that you know that pose a significant national security challenge for the United States. Which of those threats do you think is the most critical? Is the most pressing at this point? So, if you talk about most pressing, um, then I would have to um, say the um, uh, the the threat from terrorism, the global jihadists. Uh, as it's remained for the past um, uh, 15 years, uh, and, and um, Russia. Uh, most consequential over the long term, meaning the next 30 years or so, might actually be the rise of China. If you look back from a period of, uh, say, 30 or 40 years from now, that may be the most consequential geopolitical event of the first half of the uh, 21st century. Um, North Korea, obviously, with its two nuclear tests this year uh, and its continued development of uh, um, very long-range missile uh, delivery systems will also be front and center on the uh, next administration's plate. But particularly Russia, with its um, not only um, intervention in Ukraine uh, and, and its intervention in Syria, um, but also its uh, intervention in American politics through cyber um, really seems to be a pressing issue. Some other topics. Yep. Terrorism. You've got uh, a lot, as we've already discussed, uh, of experience in that. Um, today, terrorism today. Where are we today? How significant is the threat? And um, what I guess what is, what is the strategy for dealing with terrorism today? Uh, so you need a mix depending on uh, the particular terrorist group. So right after the 9-11 attacks, uh, a key element of counterterrorism strategy is to deny the terrorist group, particularly those that can strike globally, any sanctuary. And so that's what really 
uh, drove the um, invasion of Afghanistan uh, right after the 9-11 attacks to take away that sanctuary that al-Qaeda had with the Taliban regime. Um, then the related problem was to continue to hunt al-Qaeda and destroy their organizational capabilities by uh, attacking their leadership, uh, killing or capturing their leadership at a rate faster than they could replace them um, so that they couldn't plan and train and, 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 and um, uh, develop attacks against the United States. And so al-Qaeda expanded its franchises into Yemen, Syria, uh, North Africa, uh, a little bit in Southeast Asia. And so it became a, a global um, intelligence war um, to go after that group. And we've had a number of successes in Pakistan against what's called core al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. The Islamic State, which grew out of al-Qaeda in Iraq, uh, uh, got a second life because of the Syrian civil war, is really a combination of, because it owns territory and has an army, it's a combination of like the Taliban and al-Qaeda. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of the aims of al-Qaeda in terms of global attacks in Europe and the United States, but it also controls territory and resources. So you have to go after them in a, in a combination way, much as we did the Taliban state in uh, Afghanistan in 2001, but also as we've done in our precision counterterrorism operations against uh, the distributed al-Qaeda threat so, around so, the world. So here's a question, not to put you on the spot, yeah. um, but I do think you probably have a view on this. Has the U.S. been aggressive enough in engaging the Islamic State group? Uh, not if you compare it, for example, to the 2001 campaign. So we were able to dispose the Talib, uh, depose the Taliban in two months uh, after 9-11, and it's been two years that we've been waging the battle in Iraq and Syria. Some of that is a function of um, uh, the intensity of airstrikes. If you look at the combat sorties, the combat strikes that we did in 2001 versus today, uh, it's generally been about 20% uh, of what we did in 01 that, that we're doing today. Also, the use of um, local um, uh, groups and uh, irregular groups, uh, insurgent groups, uh, uh, tribal elements that can exploit the effects of air power, that has also been a bit um, reduced. Uh, mm -hmm. The campaign, I think, is starting to head in the right direction, um, but it's still not reached the level of where... Um, the 2001 effort is. Um, and so, you know, more needs to be done. What are we looking at now when, when, when ISIL begins to, and it's already started to crumble, what are we looking at after them? As ISIL's caliphate is taken away, their prestige may go down uh, as a result of the losses that they suffer. Um, Al-Qaeda is down but not out. And so, you know, the, the tortoise may end up yeah. um, beating the hare. Um, but whatever happens to these two particular groups, the conditions in the Middle East, the, the collapse of state structures, and the continued appeal of global jihadist ideology suggests that there'll be a global jihad 3.0, whatever that is. Michael Vickers, a former Green Beret, CIA paramilitary officer in the elite Special Activities Division. His last position, Under Secretary of Defense, for intelligence. We'll hear more from him soon, but coming up in our next episode. The unknown is what keeps me up at night. What do you mean? 
So we have an existing set of cases, investigations that are ongoing, particularly in our counterterrorism division. But our biggest concern is what's out there that we don't know about yet. That is Paul Abate, Assistant Director of the Washington Field Office of the FBI. Washington is one of the top targets for terrorists all over the world. We'll discuss the threats and how to fight them. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. You know, if like the rest of the whole world, you're all caught up in the what the f*** did Donald tweet today game, good news. Podcast One's got a few shows that you need to download pronto. There's Breitbart's Milo Yiannopoulos. A weekly discussion of all things technology, media, video games, politics, internet culture, and of course, the dreaded social justice warriors. Former Clinton White House advisor Dick Morris. Hillary, I worked as her chief advisor for 20 years. I know her, and she should not be president. Weekly Standard editor Bill Crystal. We're fighting a war against radical Islam, but the president of the United States won't call it a war, and he won't mention radical Islam. And all the editors of The Standard get together to do a weekly confab. Welcome to the confab. I'm Eric Felton. Download Milo, Dick, Bill, and the confab today on the Podcast One app, or subscribe at podcastone.com.